Hello and welcome everyone to episode 28 of the VGC Trainer's School podcast, where we focus on the competitive side of Pokemon. Whether you are a ladder scholar or newcomer to VGC, we will help you learn. Class is in session. I'm Jake, and I am joined today by two excellent co-hosts. The first one is the one and only Nails. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. We're very, very excited to have you. So, Tony, you had some uh, a quick intro for some of Nails' stuff. Yeah, yeah. I just said I was, I was going to freestyle this, and I was just like, this is literally the meta breaker. That's that's the only name I'm going to give nails. It's the meta breaker, the man himself, and probably arguably the greatest team builder of 2023. So, oh, shocks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, thanks for the kind words. Uh, I, I try and do what I can. Uh, I don't think I, I don't think I disagree. Uh, like I've had a lot of uh, influential teams, but. Um, uh, it's still humbling. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So yeah. Um. So what is so before we get into some of the great stuff that we have to talk about? So how do you think that you sort of reached that level of like creating new teams and continuously trying to innovate and push forward? Where does that that drive come from? As opposed to just being like, you know, this team looks really cool that somebody else has used and I want to maybe make a few tweaks, but ultimately pick it up and just run with it. Why make something brand new or try to push it new? So uh, there's a few benefits. One, it just, it helps me stay interested and stay engaged. If uh, I have a new project to work on, I think that team building is the best part of Pokemon as a game and just the amount of uh, freedom that you have to do whatever you want with your EVs and your move slots and such just is not really, comp- there's nothing comparable in other games out there. And uh, just the team building is definitely my favorite part of the game. And uh, so that is a big part. And also if you're using something that people haven't seen before, they probably aren't going to be prepared for it. So staying a step ahead of people and just catching them off guard is a like if they didn't know to prepare for it, then how could they prepare for it? Absolutely. And plus, when you are bringing something brand new, you've done all the calcs, you've done a bunch of testing, so you know exactly what your team needs to do. As opposed to even if it is open team sheet, they're maybe looking at something and they're like, "What is? How is this going to work?" And then you already catch them off guard, and they're already thinking about that, and it's already you know turn three or something like that, and you've already set up your win con. What do you think's been like your, what do you think was your favorite team that you built this year? My favorite team, honestly, uh, was probably the balance that I ran at EOIC. It's, it was just a really nice one. It was a nice meta call. I think it's the Howl stuff was really fun to work with and uh, plan out. And um, I mean, it's the event that got me the most championship points, but that's not really how I make my decision. It just uh, felt really good to pilot, and I enjoyed having uh, Gambit when a lot of the meta was balanced mirrors that weren't prepared for Gambit, and just I felt like it was the the most sound team that I've brought all season, and uh, I, I still really enjoy Howl Arcanine, and I think it's a lot of fun to play. Other than that, the Sun team at Knoxville was probably the like most potent team that I've brought all season. It kind of laid the b- blueprint for what Sun looks like. Uh, like a Torkoal, the, some Sun Abuser, uh, and then Great Tusk, Flutter, King Gambit, and Dragonite has not appeared on all the versions, but like the Terrifier King Gambit is just a staple on Sun and uh, is one of the like uh, best things Sun can be doing. So uh, getting to debut that guy was cool. Absolutely. And like the, that Sun team, you know, especially then when Semper then picks it up and, and takes it for a championship, it's like, you know, it really it really came everywhere. And he gave you a, you know, a lot of kudos for for building that team, which is which is cool. And then Howl Arcanine. I mean, that's something that Tony and I amongst our, our team building group has been using ever since you introduced it. So it, it is it is really neat that you can see your fingerprints on the season thus far. 
to be honest, a lot of the stuff that I've used hasn't been my like independent creation. Like Josh Lorsey was using Howl Arcanine at Charlotte back in series two. Um, Palance was definitely a known quantity heading into UIC. And even the SD Gambit that I had, uh, like Luca had it at the tournament before. Just what I've done this season. Uh, like even the Blizz spam stuff was on ladder and the week before Portland. Just what I've done this season has been a lot of identifying stuff that people are using that has been that looks like it's good and making it better um, and really polishing it and getting to a pretty finished product with uh, a couple Moncore. And like, I, I think that's been my main strength this season is being able to ID what is uh, a good starting point and then get it to a finished product. Definitely. And I think that's where we're, you know, I, I know that I personally will struggle because I'll have like an idea of maybe like three or four mons that I want to put together, but then actually finishing it all the way through and then figuring out how to add in, those, you know, a couple of texts here and there to make sure that everything does work together and then not being afraid to change something up if you need to. So it's, it's, it's really cool to be able to, you know, have that, like that team building process and really feel like it is, yes, that there are, you know, there are a lot of people that are helping you out. And stuff like that but um just like see that finished product is always great yeah and as for that like i just have to credit i've been playing the game i've been playing pokemon on smoke on since 2010 and just having all of that experience to lean on it certainly carries me just knowing uh being able to id like useful shortcuts just helps uh, a ton. Uh, I also have to credit my Hearthstone uh, sabbatical that I took. For, uh, like I took the <laughs> game off through a lot of uh, Gen 8 uh, because I didn't vibe with Dynamax at all and because COVID killed the circuit. And so I picked up Hearthstone and I got quite involved in that game. And it just, Hearthstone is so cutthroat, not in like a toxic interpersonal sense, but in a just the meta gets uh, very aggressively developed and anything that is not like cream of the crop, the most powerful thing you can be doing gets shut out. And so being in an environment like that and still trying to exist as a deck builder is it, it really forces you to level your game up and like scrape for every margin you can get. Just uh, Hearthstone's ecosystem of there's it's an online player base, and they were dumping a lot of money into the circuit, and so it just attracted a ton of top talent. I consider myself a pretty successful Hearthstone deck builder because over the over like a two year period, I had one thirty card list that ended up being uh, the optimal list that just like at the end of the patch, people were still playing it. Um, and I'd posted it on day one. That's and cool. That like almost never happens. And aside from that, I made one other deck that was like tier two to three. Um, and I made a couple card changes. And uh, that deck ended up being the best deck on the patch and got nerfed. And over a two year period, like with a lot of attempts at deck building, those are the two main things I can hang my hat on. I consider myself like very successful for having done that much. Bouncing from that to Pokemon, where my teams have been just a lot more, I don't know what the word is, uh, just they've been a lot more successful and influential. Having to learn to compete in Hearthstone's ecosystem just really uh, level up my game. Absolutely. And to be able to take the lessons that you can learn from that type of, you know, strategy game and bring that back to to Pokemon, I think I'm sure is clearly has been able to pay dividends for you because, you know, forces you to think about things a little bit differently, but also keep that that level of innovation still still going and uh, have your fingerprints over it. So that's that's really cool. And we certainly want to tap into that experience that you've had as we discuss some of the teams that we saw in Fresno and then also looking forward to NAIC and see how things go from there. So that is on the docket for the podcast for today. And obviously, you know, Tony is here with us. So uh, how are you doing, Tony? Hey, oh, I'm doing good. I mean, yeah, no, I'm doing good. Uh, this is this is a great experience. Uh, I've watched. So Nails helped 
build my team. Uh, he gave me the base, and then, you know, we tested things out, and uh, I was, like, asking him, like, hey, what do you think of this? Uh, that I asked him that probably too many times. <laughs> no, you were good. Watching him team build during that time, I think I was just, like, in awe almost. Two of the main things that really got me through Fresno was a, uh, you know, life orb, adamant, talon, flame. That was that was a great call. Uh, nobody expected it. Everyone's just like, uh, like every time I would land a hit with it, and it was just like, it was just like, yeah, brave bird, just brave bird. And I'm like, okay. And uh, just every time it would just like one shot something, and then they just like kind of look up and they're like, oh, I didn't expect that. I was like, nobody ever does. It's cool. So watching him just like. Do that. And it's like, oh yeah, this would, you know, this KO is bulky flutter, and this does this and that, and then uh, bulky bundle. Bulky bundle was a fun call too, because even though everyone would like slow me down, it was still living. Like it would live freeze dries, and I mean, maybe not the adamant tusks like under sun, but like it would live. It would live a lot more than I thought it would for sure, and it definitely helped me out throughout the tournaments but like just watching him give the suggestions like oh this is why you do this this is why you do that you know it was it's always fun to watch like someone who knows who has a better idea and now like seeing it's like where the cutthroatness comes from it's like now i'm i might play hearthstone so i could be become a better builder i mean it doesn't have to be hearthstone it's just any um like super competitive uh ecosystem but and honestly like Hearthstone kind of killed their competitive scene by just taking all the prize money out of the circuit. So now I have nothing. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, it was really cool to be involved in the scene and watching um, one of my Hearthstone friends just uh, decided to pick up Pokemon TCG and got top eight at his first event. It was a Brazilian regional. Oh, wow. Um, he was uh, also just applying lessons from Hearthstone to. Uh, his game, uh, uh, like one of the main things that you learn early on when you're trying to uh, get good at Hearthstone is that tempo is good. If you are making your opponent respond to what you're doing, they don't have time to do their own stuff. Uh, basically, he was just running an ultra consistent list that hit combos that you're not supposed to be able to hit. Uh, he was playing Lost Ox uh, for TCG fans. Oh but, yeah, that'll just mess um, people up. Um, to it. And he was hitting like turn one Mirage Gates, which uh, just is faster than most people expect you to be able to use one of your powerful cards. So, Hearthstone teaches you how to play aggro uh, if you want to survive and like play aggro really intelligently. Yeah, and I think that that can be difficult whether it's VGC or you know TCG because especially in VGC, it's like if you make a wrong call or you don't set up on a turn that you could have been able to set up, it can uh, really you know put you on your back foot. And uh, yep. lose you the game. So, and like with that, you know, King Gambit, this like Swords Dance set. I mean, knowing when to press that button is uh, is really huge. Mm -hmm. But cool. Yeah. Let's get into Fresno Regional. So, of course, that took place over this past weekend. Two hundred eighty-five Masters players competed, and the Swiss champion. Emilio Forbes taking it home with a very, very strong showing in the finals and the top eight looking pretty, uh, pretty interesting. So with some very big names in there. So we'll go through the top four and then discuss some additional trends and thoughts and ideas that we had from Fresno before getting into NAIC. So we're going to pull up the first list here for Emilio Forbes. They ran a Fluttermane, King Gambit, Arcanine, Iron Bundle, Amoongus, and Iron Hands. Everything on there pretty much seems fairly standard. The the safety goggles on Arcanine, the Terra type flying. I always do appreciate that on Arcanine. The super damage black glasses King Gambit. And the choice specs Fluttermane with Trick Room, which is probably not the most uh standard thing on there, but I do like this list. It seems like it's you know going to be pretty, not like straightforward to play, but definitely going to have a lot of those damage calcs you got to go know off the top of your head. Yeah, I want to take a bit of a moment to just uh, give credit to Emilio. Um, he's 
for my money, like the best player in the world. And I think by a pretty healthy margin, he has been for years. Uh, just in terms of pure like button clicking ability, he has the most talent of anyone in the game. And that's uh, high praise. Why do you uh, why, why do you say that? Because I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you because the the accomplishments of Emilio are fantastic. They have what like two or three losses in the last like four years or something like that in Swiss rounds. Like it's insane. Um, yeah, I mean that's not counting or that's counting COVID as years. But uh, yeah, he's got like uh, twelve and one, twelve and one, then fifteen and or sixteen and one. So that's like forty and three record uh, this season. Wow. Sets. He's the only player that I feel comfortable saying uh, if I sit down across from him uh, before counting matchups, uh, I'm unfavored to win this set. There are probably some other players out there who are better than me, but he's the only one that I'm like comfortable admitting and just saying, yeah, Emilio is better than me at clicking buttons. He, he's going to win more often than me. He's just the GOAT. His team is like just good stuff. Nothing about it is... It's super innovative. The Iron Hands without Wild Charge is a little funny to see, but Volt Switch is a good move, and it just lets you like position your Pokemon pretty effectively. And he said the Wild Charge and Thunder Punch both are pretty mid, and I want to be able to preserve my Iron Hands attack stat, get it out of Intimidates, and also just have it be able to kill flutter and also drain punch like he just identified the most important parts of what make it a good pokemon and then um said the rest doesn't matter as much and that's what you're supposed to do in team building and um just he's also just really good at clicking buttons so um props yeah i didn't i didn't even notice on the iron hand side that there's no uh like strong electric move but that's a good point i mean if like you have other ways to deal with something like gyarados or I guess like the water tear is out there, which is like iron bundle. Then you don't really need that, that heavy electric move because getting rid of that minus one attack is going to be way more beneficial than staying in on it. If you can, if you're like, it's able to deal with a lot of the stuff that you'd want to hit with wild charge. So just, yeah, you don't need it. What do you think the trick room is for? Um, probably like, so people often, uh, want to protect in, uh, in front of Specs Flutter. And so if you can, say, have Flutter Gambit, it just lets you flip the board on stuff where you can uh, potentially like pin something down with a sucker punch while trick rooming. You could you could even set up a sword stance if you're like expecting them to protect and then you just trick yeah. room sword stance and um, you're just set. Like the type of position I'm thinking of is if you already have a sword stance up with Gambit and you've broken a Chienpao's focus sash, you can put a sucker punch into Chienpao and get Trick Room off. Um, and they can't hit your flutter because it's using a status move uh, with sucker, like they can't sucker punch it. Um, and then next turn, you just outspeed their, uh, their Chienpao with your Gambit and flutter can reposition. And uh, that's just an example of a situation. I'm sure there's a bunch more out there, but that's really great because we've we've been talking a lot about what that fourth move should be on Fluttermain because th- those first three are typically going to be locked in. Yeah, especially yeah, for the first spec set, you know. So it's like that that fourth move. It's like we've seen you know, Thunderbolt, Power Gem. We've seen some like crazy Terra Blast, but like Trick Room on a spec set. That's that is interesting, and like that that's a great situation that you just were able to pull out and, and like that's a very realistic situation that's going to happen um especially since the there is a pretty good slow mode on this team with amungus and iron hands plus king gambit so it's like i'm sure that he was probably clicking trick room like once like, like multiple times to actually set up the rest of the game yeah it's the the fourth move on flutter main is not uh terribly valuable um I'm still a Sleep Talk fan. Uh, I think that being able to switch it into a Spore and then say, this was a good play for me, uh, now deal with my Flutter main. And it's uh, it creates positions where you've turned they got a Spore off into uh, now they don't have safe plays. You also don't have um, safe plays, but like you got 
to just have Flutter main safely do stuff in front of Amoongus. Um, it also allows you to, say, target a partner down and say, I can eat a Spore for this. If you're not clicking Rage Powder on this turn, then you can Spore my Flutter, but I'm still okay with that. Uh, there's multiple layers of RNG buried in it uh, with Sleep Turns and also Sleep Talk RNG, but I'm still a fan of Specs, uh, Sleep Talk on Flutter. But their Trick Room worked for Emilio. We don't know if... Uh, if that was uh, too impactful on his run, but other than that, Sashok's also cool. Cool. Uh, just coverage on Amoongus was nice. Yeah, I I very much agree with you. I uh, when I went to I only went to one regional this year. It was my first one. It was Hartford, and I brought uh, a a pairing of Snow with the Specs uh, bundle set that that you would run, and um, I had Sleep Talk on it. And there was one one game in particular where I was asleep, and I was. It was like smart targeting Blizzard on on things, and it was even though it was asleep, it was just it was very fun. My opponent was like, "Wow, I forgot! <laughs> I didn't think Sleep Talk was going to work that well." So yeah, I can imagine it would do really well on Fluttermain, also. Okay, let's move on to Gavin Michael's team. So they brought Goldengo, Zumaril, Mungus, Iron Hands. Pelipper and Fluttermane. So this is a another rain team, very similar to what they brought to OCIC with just a few changes. Um, no Ruinmon on there, although because because they had Baxcalibur on their last rain team, correct? Yep. Okay. I like this team a lot. I like I like Trick on Goldango. I think that's that's very fun. Um, I like Sash on on Pelipper, and I, the wide guard on there is great too. I like this this team a lot. I'm always a fan of, of weather based teams, and because they're just like it's just a fun mode to play. I think because you just especially with rain, you just get that massive massive damage with Azumarill. It's such a great Pokemon right now. Yeah. So Gavin's team uh, was also piloted to a second place finish at uh, Hartford. Uh, Zomog had it, and uh, just a lot of the same choices like the, t- the team is just uh very potent it has a really nice mix of bulk and offensive pressure trick room is a move that is tough to fit onto teams without uh fully building around it uh notable that both of the top two teams had trick room on Fluttermane because trick room is a move that you want in the current metagame uh there's a lot of offensive teams that just fold to trick room going up and so being able to get that off is just nice. Aside from that, like Amoongus and Rain uh, can safely go for Terra Steel without fearing fire type moves, which is um, really nice for it. Iron Hands and the like, uh, Iron Hands and the Rain can tear grass and uh, cut its weaknesses. Um, just the team uh, gets a really nice uh, defensive synergy out of um, like the Rain. I'm always a fan of a uh, bolt switching into your uh, weather setter. Uh, that was, I, I think that was like after, after San Diego, I tried to play around with the rain team. And yeah, that was like one of like once they started a uh, series two regulation B, whatever you want to call it. I, I just remember that was like one of the first things um, I think I was talking. I forget who I was talking to, but they were like, yeah, just full switch. I think it was ammo, but he was like, yeah, just, bolt switch iron hands is going to be crazy and it's like okay sure and then i and then you try it and then i i like it it's fun something that we've gone back and forth with we've seen a lot is protect or no protect on amoongus i'm sure that it's going to be based on the team but do you have a preference between that protect or that clear smog or some other move in that slot sure so protect is something it's a phenomenal move on the mon I think that it can be tricky to fit on, but if you can manage to make the team work, uh, it's going to pay dividends in the tournament. Seeing an Amoongus that doesn't have Protect is just, uh, it's got a flashing light of uh, kill me, kill me. And uh, you force your opponent to play a lot more defensively and use uh, more, uh, or like less committal uh, tools uh, to deal with it. And, you can just uh, throw uncertainty into all of the game plans if uh, Amoongus can just blank a double up that would otherwise uh, take it out. And creating uncertainty for your opponent is just good. 
Yeah, that's that's certainly something if they're, you know, especially when Spore is is live, when it's on the field. I mean, we saw it in, in that finals that Emilio had to do that side will-o'-wisp just to avoid the opposing Amoongus. Spore is so, so critical right now that when people are so threatened by it, and you can like protect like if you're hitting into protects, it's a waste of a turn entirely. Like five only five of the top sixty-four teams at Fresno had uh protect on their Amoongus versus uh sixteen that opted for clear smog. Like under twenty-five percent uh that one with protect just decided that they had a sufficiently good Dundoza matchup that, that they could uh cut it. And then also, of course, the Goldengo with Make It Rain, Shadow Ball, Thunderbolt, and Trick on the Choice Scarf. Now, when we talked about the most recent regional for this one in Milwaukee, um, there was a Choice Specs Nasty Plot Trick Goldengo. So Goldengo has really seen a lot of different item and move variations, whether you're bulky with Nasty Plot or Choice Specs or Choice Scarf citrus berry even i do like the the choice scarf just because you know that it's going to be going fast especially with goldango being semi-popular appearing on three of the top eight teams so knowing that you're going to win that speed tie every single time and you can also shut down opposing you know setup mons bulky mons with that choice scarf i think is is really neat how do you where do you fall on on goldango have you used it much this year I've used uh, Nasty Plot once, and I've used Specs once. They're, it's like Make It Rain's broken. Like, Good As Gold is also just a broken ability. So, like, it's got the two main selling points, and otherwise a good enough stat distribution to make it work. Yeah, it's just a good Pokemon. Uh, good As Gold being one of the few good ways to, like, aggressively respond to Amoongus. It makes it... Uh, a meta staple. Yeah, it's a it's one of the defining features of the format. There were uh, sixteen uh, Goldengos in top sixty four at Fresno, and then as you like go further up, like uh, day two uh, had eleven out of thirty two Goldengos, and there were three out of eight Goldengos in top eight. So like yeah, Goldengo had a really nice tournament. Like as I was saying, it's one of the few ways to get around Amoongus, and Amoongus is one of the main like roadblocks in the way of uh or just one of the main problems to solve in team building yeah i i don't have too much to say on scarf it's just um like it makes uh fluttermane sad like specs fluttermane has been it's still been really common but of the top 64 flutters uh 23 out of 46 so exactly 50 percent were specs I think moving forward, uh, that's not going to really change. Just Specs is going to start getting punished a little bit. And we've already seen that. And just I think that that's a pretty uh, good path forward or a, a decent way to approach the format is just to target Specs on Flutter Main. It's like punishable. Yeah, absolutely. And like, even though. Flutter does have a great special defense stat. When you have something as as broken, as strong as Make It Rain is coming off of a stab boost, especially with this one being the Terra Steel, knowing that you're going to be faster, you can just hit it for a lot of damage. And it have it has, you know, it, unless it's going to tear a water or something like that, there's really not much that those opposing flutters can do unless they're going like focus sash or something. But cool. All right, so let's move on to the number three team, Zachary Thornburg coming in third place with Fluttermane, Talonflame, Screamtail, Annihilate, Goldengo, and Mousehold. So this is a very interesting team, a lot of trickeration going on with Encore to Sable on uh, Screamtail, you know, you got Follow Me, Beat Up Super Fang to accelerate the nasty plot on Goldango, and of course the the bulk up on Annihilate. This is a very fun looking team. A lot of pairs that you have to be very, very aware of, um, including the Talonflame and the Fluttermane, which is named Nails. 
So we'll start with you. We'll start with you, Nails. Uh, What do you think about a team like something like this? Um, I'm a fan. I ran something very similar to it at uh, Milwaukee and went 10 and 4 with it. The team is just uh, pretty potent. The mass eight mode is uh, obviously threatening. And uh, Screamtail was debuted on NJ11's uh, Portland team. Um, and so I think that, um, like, it, uh, it, it's just a really good enabler for a bunch of um, different strategies. And if you want to hear more about that, uh, NJ11 posted a really nice video on Adi's channel. But it's the the team is just good it's the scream tail does a lot of uh powerful stuff um it's using the best tools in the meta which is like specs flutter and the golden go which we just talked about uh it was in an awesome uh spot in the meta mm-hmm. and uh, i don't know i think the team is good I, I don't have too much to say about it really i'm a, uh, I'm a fan of the talent flame right now that's it yep no you yeah, know the talent's pretty cool yeah Same i will one. say I, I i really like this team because when you see mouse ape it like forces you to to be aware of it it forces you to respect it immediately but also goldengo works so incredibly well with household also but mount but Goldengo also works with the with, with Tailwind on Talonflame, but also Fluttermane works well in, in that regard. And then you just have Screamtail that, like, if you get locked into the wrong move, because choice items are everywhere currently with, like, everything running um, choice specs and it being faster than, uh, you know, most, like, most Fluttermanes, unless they're going to be booster speed or something like that. It's able to just to encore disable into the worst opportunity, like the worst situation for you. So it's like teams like like this, I really do enjoy because you have the combination of instant offense, but also the punishment that can that you can trap somebody in with encore and disable or even just like follow me. Because when you have Pokemon that are your support, your offensive supports like Screamtail and Mousehold, it really just helps to facilitate the rest of your big damage dealers in Goldengo, Annihilate, and then even because of the fact that it has Life Orb, even Talonflame and of course Fluttermane are able to just really punch holes through things, and it really yeah. shuts down a lot of you know those bulky mons. Of course, it shuts down Amoongus since you have Grass Terra on the the Screamtail. I like these these teams a lot. I was running a, a Howl Scream Tail for a bit and really enjoyed that with um, uh, Sarah Ledge. But this is definitely the much more, uh, I guess you could say the the more annoying version, I suppose, of uh, of Scream Tail. Yeah, uh, I think the team is like uh, pretty well refined at this point. Like the the sixth slot. Uh, which is the Golden Go, and it was something else at the tournament before. Uh, I'm blanking on what we had uh, right now, but um, it's still an open question what it's supposed to be. But otherwise, uh, yeah, the team just is pretty potent. It looks like it just gives so much pressure from like any side that you look at it. You have yeah. like defensive pressure. You have offensive pressure. I mean, like just from playing the 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 talent flight, I know how much like that brave bird turn one will do, and it it's almost like it's not a mind game, but it definitely like really shows them like oh shit, like this this is shit's about to go down. Like yeah. Also, like the encore disable stuff is like it could be so annoying, but I love the it team- at the same time. I hate playing it. The team forces you to walk a tightrope of um, of putting out enough offensive pressure that you're um, not going to get rolled by mouse ape, um, but also respecting uh, specs flutter talent um, with a strong talent flame. And it's just a really tough um, ask for a lot of teams to be able to deal with both modes. And it just uh, stresses teams in a bunch of different ways. Um, one of the things that I've felt has been like very important 
in series in regulation C or series three or whatever, um, has been ability to control the pace of a battle. And uh, one of the teams that I think did this uh, the best was my Fort Wayne team, uh, which was the Yon Dozo uh, Stealth Rock Tangler stuff. You just force the opponent to rapidly shift their game plan. Uh, Don Dozo teams in general are uh, excellent at this uh, as well. Uh, just forcing you to respond to aggressive offense and then um, deal with a slow mode uh, that is just really bulky and putting out a lot of damage and then uh, respond to fast offense again. It asks a lot of your opponent and being able to just answer all of those questions is tough. And so I think that this team honestly is just uh, very similar to Dundozo in that respect where the pacing of the battle is just, you, you have to match them or you get run over and matching them is tricky. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you are able to disrupt that, if you are able to force people to get out of the the game plan or, or the or the flow that they want to go into, and or you, you you speed it up or you slow it down, it's like it it forces you know additional decisions that need to be made that someone may not necessarily be expecting to do. Because it's like if you are facing a person who likes to have games over before turn five you know and you can get them to turn seven turn six and they start to make more um more mistakes or conversely if you have someone that wants to take a longer game but you force them to speed it up a little bit it can you know throw a wrench into some things so it's a it's a good point you know disrupting what they want to do by changing the pace of the game is can be a, a great win condition that isn't necessarily about the game itself but the the way that the game is going yeah the real lesson to take away from this is that Controlling the pace is uh, just about, uh, or you have to like actually be able to, I guess, be right. Uh, if you try to control the pace of the game, but your opponent says, no, actually, we're fighting on my terms, and here's why, and then they uh, win a damage trade, you have to fight them on their terms, and uh, being, like, being able to do that is important as well. I guess the end of, at, at the end of the day, just like having, um, being able to, like, make damage trades uh being able to set the terms of the damage trades like you're only able to do that if your opponent uh if you have like the the guns for it okay uh, well let's move on to the last team that we're going to talk about from fresno before we start just talking about some general overall themes coming in fourth place riley factura running the named new balance featuring gyarados chiyu amungus ting lu iron hands and Fluttermane. Some of the interesting things to note on here, your standard choice specs, Fluttermane set, leftovers on Tinglu because the Assault Vest is there on the Iron Hands, and Lumberry on Gyarados with the Safety Goggles on Chiyu. I do like the Nasty Plot on Chiyu as opposed to just three attacks plus Protect. I think that's kind of neat, especially when you have some redirection on Amoongus and then also the uh, Paralysis Chance and on um, Gyarados. And of course, you know, fake out on Iron Hands. This looks like a, a very, a very fun team, a little different from some of the other New Balance teams that we've seen. So my question to you, Nails, is when a team archetype like New Balance or, or Original Palance comes out or something like that, what are some decisions that you make to attempt to fight the mirror, basically? Because you know that you are that going into a tournament, if you bring these six, you're going to be seeing the same six quite a lot. Yeah, so uh, if uh, well, if are we speaking from the perspective of someone who's loading out New Balance? Uh, yeah. Let's yeah, yeah. Let's sure. Um, so if you're planning to go in, you have to, uh, and you're running the biggest team at a tournament, you probably do want to spend some portion of your of your team's like uh, overall like real estate, your your room for like responding to things. Uh, attacking out the mirror um, and you're saying that my team is good enough that I can spend resources in a suboptimal way for the rest of the metagame um, while still being like the best choice for me to run uh, if I just do X, Y, and Z to make the team better in the mirror like that's always uh, a choice that is um, like you have to be very cognizant of making sure that you're not 
uh, spending too much resource, too many resources on like checking out the mirror uh, because other like you do cost your team just overall effectiveness when you do that um, at the expense of dealing with uh, people who are also running just the best version of the team. Uh, and so just that's a really tough tightrope to walk. Uh, but it, I mean, it can be worth it. Um, so examples of places where you can try to get a better mirror matchup would be uh, Protect on Amoongus. That's, uh, it's not, Clear Smog is not especially useful in the mirror. And uh, Protect is also just generally, I think, the stronger option. Um, but you have to include Dondozo matchup at some other place on this on the team so you just have to um decide if that's the most like economical way to do it otherwise uh you can run uh you probably only want one booster on the team but perhaps two can work um the booster versions of uh, chiu and iron hands are going to be better off in the mirror but they're not that you're going to like pay a price for it and uh, matchups where you just want more immediate stats. So um, just it's all about striking a balance uh, when you're, uh, I guess when you're running anything, but if you're using a core that's already set in stone, most of the matchups uh, are just generally, like handled generally by raw power. Just saying that the things that I'm doing are stronger than uh, what my opponent will do. So you have to worry a bit more about the macro stuff. And the the team that I referred to as my favorite team earlier in the season, mm-hmm. uh, my UIC Palance team, uh, it just elected to run Protect on Amoongus and completely punt the Dozo matchup and uh, just not include heavy tech for it. Um, I had some game plans into Dozo. They were uh, a little scuffed, um, but I ended up not queuing into Dozo and reaping the rewards of hitting a bunch of mirror matches in day one and having a bunch of extra gas in that matchup helped me out. Yeah. It's just all about uh, being able to yeah, find uh, where the balance that you should strike is. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, a, a big part of it is because you want to, you want to make sure that the team still works together as opposed to just being like, I'm going in with this, like just to be able to defeat the mirror. Right. And because then if like, what if you don't face that? You have to still be able to have a, a consistent team that's going to be able to get you in the position, which Riley clearly was able to do getting into the top four. So they certainly made the, the good decisions along the way. Looking at, yeah. at this team in particular, anything jump out to you that you are that you think is, you know, necessarily noteworthy? Like for me, I think going flamethrower over heatwave on Chi Yu is is a really good choice because it's like how much does it suck to set up to plus two and then you double miss heat wave, you know, take it's the not RPG about that out. really like heat wave is the generally stronger option. Just flamethrower specifically is a tech choice to be able to one shot among us. And otherwise heat wave, it's just a lot more DPS. Heat wave is 95 base power and spread moves have a 1.5 times uh, multiplier on them. So before accuracy, I guess even before accuracy, you're you're DPSing with 142.5 base power, and you're using heatwave, and flamethrower is only 90. So, um, like, it's using heatwave is just going to uh, like deal 400% damage quicker than flamethrower, all is equal. Like flamethrower is inherently like the less powerful option, and is yeah, just uh, you're saying that protecting my team from spore and uh, honestly just getting rid of that stupid mushroom is something that I value highly over doing uh, more damage. And like that was Riley's understanding of the team. And that's something that a lot of uh, players have uh, also opted for. Six out of 19 uh, Chews and top 64 had flamethrower and the other 13 were heatwave. Like and of uh, of course of the heat wave, uh, she used uh, about half her specs. So mm-hmm. there there still were some nasty plot heat waves. Um, two of them made day two, but yeah, it's just um, that's a decision point that you have to make while building the team. Uh, nasty plot flamethrower is like does seem to be like the more common option 
but uh, for nasty plot sets, but it's just you know something you have to decide. Tony, any any thoughts on this on uh, Riley's New Balance team that we, we want to talk about? I lost to a New Balance, so I'm kind of sad when I look at it. But um, no, it's it's a really good team. Like otherwise, besides losing to it, that's not fun. But um, yeah, no, I, I I like it. I think I it looks like it's just like a super bulky supportive Tinglu over being like a, an aggressive one. You know, I like the fact that the Chiyu... I, I'm assuming most of the team is a lot bulkier than it looks like. Like the Chiyu with the safety goggles, usually I think that's a bulkier build. And then with the help of... I, I, I'm also getting really distracted by the names. It's just like mother, father, brother, grandpa, sister, grandma. And then I just keep thinking of the finger song. So I'm kind of distracted by that right now. But I do like the like Terra Fairy Ting Lu. That's like an interesting choice compared to like the terror poisons that you normally see yeah no yeah, I mean, justin kruba had terror fairy lefties tinglu at uh, milwaukee and i don't know if riley picked it up from there or not but uh it's just a good set it allows it to uh pretty safely click rumination uh, in a lot of positions you don't really want to be a steel type or a poison type uh looking at a tinglu in most situations so it pretty effectively shifts just the stuff the stuff that you would target it with and Ooh, we're on to something pre-series pre-series that was like what we were like dedicated to was terra fairy ting lu and it was just great and now it's, it's i abandoned it and now it came back to haunt me yep um <laughs> and uh otherwise uh I guess Riley's team uh, less than some others, but uh, we've just been uh, the top teams all have a lot of uh, instances of the move protect. Uh, and I think that moving forward, that's just something to prioritize. Um, like cutting protects is something that you do when you have to. Uh, having more protects on your team is just generally a good choice for uh, any teams that can afford it. And there's some teams that get more benefit out of it than others, but uh, it allows you to play a more stable game of Pokemon uh, if you have uh, more protects. I'm just uh, skipping through the teams uh, and looking for uh, the fewest number of protects of any team. And I think every team in the top eight had uh, around three protects, between three and four. Mm -hmm. Emilio had four, I think. Yeah, yeah, and assault us to specs and four protects. Um, yeah, okay, everyone in the everyone in top eight had either three or four protects on their team. I think that's a good. I think that's a good mix because I do think that the items that people that you can run, like the choice items and assault vest, are really great items that don't require the you know don't require protect. So if you if you can fit protect, great. But if you don't necessarily need it on that Pokemon specifically based on the kit that you're trying to run, you know, don't necessarily try and force it if you don't if you don't have to. But yeah, I think three or four is typically good. Because I think if if you're doing more than that, then I don't know, maybe then you're not necessarily using A V or, or specs or something like that, or, or or a choice band, which may not which may sort of limit your ability to have some damage output. But like have you ever run a six protect team? I'm sure that you have at some point. Um, honestly, so, uh, I probably have, but it's really rare before open team sheets. I thought that cutting protect was just, uh, free real estate. Mm -hmm. Uh, your opponent had to uh, respect it anyways, and you could often get a lot of value out of cutting protect. There are a lot of Pokemon now that, I mean, just choice items are pretty common and protect is an amazing move against, uh, choice items generally and uh otherwise just open team sheets completely changes the dynamic but um i was a big fan of cutting protect before uh open team sheets uh like uh i would often uh it's not apples to apples comparison but in doubles ou i thought that uh in last gen um uh i had around like one protect per team for 6v6 doubles and uh, had a very successful season uh, in Smogun Champions League uh, running very few uh, protects just because there were enough uh, pivot tools 
Uh, protect is a wasted turn um, if your opponent doesn't hit into you. So it's a move that you have to use um, like carefully to get enough value out of it or you're just wasting time. But uh, just, yeah, Open Sheets says that Protect is important. And so uh, I have to... it Getting used to that, it, it took me a tournament in order to fully appreciate that Protect is just good. Yeah, that's a good point. Because especially in, in, in an open team sheet fashion, you know, it forces forces your opponent to think, are they going to click at this turn? And, you know... When, because it's sometimes like we we sort of debated this or like we talked about this you know very early on, but it's like at first people were not necessarily excited about the open team sheet switch from closed team sheet because you're getting too much information. But the other side of the the you know double edge of the sword is yeah, but if they know everything that you could do, it forces them to know what they what you actually will do. So it limits it in a way, but it also helps you out because when you do have a a, a move like protect it could essentially be a dead turn for your opponent if they guess wrong. Um, so let's... Hold on. I want to stop you before ahead, we leave Tony. Fresno. Okay. Because I have one thing I could say about That's Fresno. That's right. This is very let's, exciting. Let's scroll down to number 48. You know, fuck the top 47. We're going to 48. This is all I came here for, is that is me. I made t- number 48, and this is honestly the best I've ever done at a regionals. So thank you again, Nails, for like leading me in the direction of where, like, what team I should bring. Um, I did end up going with the giraffe. I think that was just a comfort thing. But yeah. Congratulations that, on the finish. Thank you. It, no, it's really like the best that I've ever done. Like, the first game I lost, I lost. Um, I probably would have lost anyways, but I lost at the very end to double rock slide miss. And it was just very disappointing. But then I played like Aaron Brock round two and Aaron Brock was killing it for a while. He was doing really good. Uh, he just read me like a book and just demolished me. And then I got to play Adi. And uh, that was fun because as soon as I saw him, someone like asked him and then they're like, Oh shit, Adi. And then I was like, Oh shit. Are you like Adi? Like Adi, Adi. He's like, oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, fuck my life. And then he just started laughing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, I've never gotten that response before. I was like, well, I don't have a good feeling about this. So, so yeah, those were my three losses. Yeah. yeah I, I, um, Alan Martinez, Aaron Brock, and Adi Supermanian are all uh, very strong players. And no shame in losing to any of them. Oh, shit. Was the first guy, like, someone good, too? Because he, he played really good, like, we went to game yeah. three. And you know, game- um, Alan Martinez was uh, my round. I've played him. I think I've only played him once this season. I used my round 14 opponent at Portland. And I remember helping Angel prep for Alan before top 32 at San Diego, I want to say. Yeah, no, he was really good too. Like round one. I feel like it was like he was feeling me out round one because I was like, oh, this is gonna this isn't that bad. And I was like, oh, cool. And then round two is like, oh, you know, this is what it's gonna be. And then uh yeah, he he wrecked me round two. And then round three, I think I tried to like spice it up and then it just it totally didn't go my way. And then it was just like a double rock slide miss at the very end. And I was just like, I didn't want to be salty, but I got I was a little, I'm not gonna lie. So. Yeah, um honestly just looking at the looking at your tournament, uh for starting OT you had a really solid resistance. Uh, like all of your opponents uh, after playing you uh ran it back and uh like won more than they lost after your set. Yeah, like you finished with about average six three resistance, uh despite starting OT, which is very like above average and just shows the played a tough schedule, I guess. Oh yeah, Alan Martinez. He made he made number thirty-seven. All right, cool. Yep. Well, I feel less bad about myself. I'm just happy I made it. I made it on Victory Road, so that was like my big goal. I was just like, I just want to make it somewhere, and now I did. Yeah, congrats on the finish. Yes, that's all I got for Fresno. <laughs> no, that's that's that, that is fantastic. But like you know, great job, Zoni, for sure. And it's like the fact that you you did so well with your favorite Pokemon of Gen Nine is, is massive. 
So uh, shout out to Farigaraf enjoyers. Um, I, w- I was sad that I was not the best Farigaraf player. There's one person in front of me, and I was like, damn it. Number 21, shout out to Robert Matthews for being the better giraffe player. Well, I did want to talk just a little briefly about NAIC, you know, moving forward, looking forward to that. So um, just to sort of start things off, it'll be the last, you know, major tournament of Regulation C, which is very exciting. So we've had three full months to look into the meta change it adapt it how things are going to you know how things are going to go of course we saw balance very early on and then it all kind of just went away and then new balance is popping up but then there's still a lot of other archetypes that are that are coming around you know flutter main sets have fluctuated from you know super strong super fast to bulky to super strong super fast again to a little bit in the middle so Looking at something like that, when you have this much data and, you know, with your experience, Nails, how do you sort of plan for a massive tournament like this? And how do you try and make that meta call? Sure. So prepping for like events is just inherently, it's a really hard uh, ask for people. The saying that you have to go seven and two in order to progress is you have to just play in the top 10% of players and it's yeah just it's a really high demand on uh, everybody um generally the way that you can do that is uh you have to say that you're going to play well and you have to um bring something that is not going to uh take too many auto losses uh, steps one, two, and three are all play well. You, uh, if you are playing badly, it's very difficult to get enough margins off of having a good enough team to go seven and two, um, or uh, whatever your goal is. Um, I guess that's uh, the first takeaway. Is um, uh, but when going into uh, when you're going into a pretty established metagame like we have in Series 3 right now where uh, a lot of players have um, found their team, if you haven't yet found something that you're comfortable with, uh, you should probably... like um, Shifting between teams uh, before events is uh, something that can work, but as metas get more established and people have more stuff to refine the stuff they're working on, there's more pressure to uh, just keep up with them. Um, like team quality just goes up over the course of a format. So yeah, I would say if you don't have something that you're comfortable with uh, getting, uh, just uh, picking something that you're pretty okay with and uh, trying to get a couple weeks of practice on it heading into NAC is probably going to do you a lot of uh, good as a player. Um, just making sure you know your lines, you know how your team functions, you know all your calcs. Um, nothing's going to catch you by surprise. And just like hone yourself uh, as a player. Um, and uh, just make sure you aren't doing your team a disservice heading into the like uh, final event of the uh, season. Yeah, I think and I think that's like the, the difficult thing to do is because it's like, you know, do you take the last couple weeks worth of, of of changes? Do you look at it like on a whole? Do you think that people are going to try and re- revert back to things? And then it's also just like the fact that it's just like a massive tournament in general that, you know, you want to do well, but you you know that, as you already mentioned, like it's also going to have the biggest draw of the biggest names where maybe you couldn't necessarily make it out to Fresno. Maybe you couldn't make it to Milwaukee. Maybe you couldn't make it to Hartford. But if you really want to compete, you know, you're going to try and make it to the international that's being held in, in your country or in your, your region. So do you ever do you like, do you feel the added pressure in that regard that you're like, I'm, do you, do you treat it that like I'm building for something that I could be facing, you know, or I could be competing against a thousand other players, or do you just think of it as I'm just going in and I'm going to play, you know, nine, 10 rounds, whatever it is, and then see what happens. I, you have to play one round at a time. And yeah. so it's the same game we've been playing uh, for the past three months. And just 
apply the lessons that you've learned and make the uh, best team that you can. Um, just try to just make sure that the strategy, like whatever strategy you're using, whether that's um, I'm going to set up Tailwind and set up Sunny Day with my Murkrow and Chiyu is going to roast the enemy team, or I'm going to um, have an Iron Hands and an Amoongus in the rain and uh, my Azumarill is going to click Life Orb Liquidation, or uh, I'm going to set up my Gambit, or uh, I'm going to Cheem's Dragonite all over uh, the other guy. Like, there's tons of different strategies. Um, and at the end of the day, just uh, make sure that you're executing it and that you uh, basically make sure you're as capable of playing good Pokemon as you can. That's my advice to people heading into NAIC. What about you, Tony? Have you, you, you competed at NAIC before, correct? No, I, I never. No, um, I would like to, but I okay. can't afford tickets, unfortunately. Yeah, it's um, it's it's, it's been in Columbus a few times in a row, right? Like, is that typically where it is? Um, it's been in Columbus for uh since twenty seventeen. Okay, twenty seventeen was in Indianapolis. Uh, in sixteen it was in Columbus, and then. Um, in 18 and on to like 18, 19 and 22, uh, we're all on Columbus and pretty sure that they just like signed a lease with Columbus, um, for five to 10 years or something. And so we're probably going to be in Columbus for a uh, foreseeable future. Uh, I don't mind Columbus. Uh, it's, uh, I'm from Michigan. And so, uh, I like to meme on Ohio for being, uh, a, a bad place or whatever. Um, but uh genuinely columbus is like pretty it's like a nice enough city uh it's just a midwestern college town uh that's uh grown up into and like is a state capital but there's like there, there's not too much to do uh in the town but it's clean it's there's not really public transit but uh everything's close enough together that that doesn't really come up as an issue um just it's a town that's like the right size where pokemon can take it over and it's a nice weekend um yeah nets is always a pretty good experience cool very cool yeah i uh i might try and go out to internet like uh nationals at some point that could be very fun what the one thing that i'm always very impressed by is that it's like very much a spectacle you know they're like kind of a little bit more so than than regionals are so if you are in the Columbus area, you know, or in the, in, in the Ohio region, uh, maybe go check it out. You know, could be could be a lot of fun. Before we go, do you have any any fond memories of um, NAIC in particular that stand out to you, Nels? Yeah, so the first NAIC I went to was in 2017, and I top cut it. I had a team that I had been refining since January um, and just practicing with it and. Uh, I knew all my lines, and I went 8-1 to 11-3 and three, uh, with a Chansey on my team. It was just uh, Seismic Toss, Heal Pulse, Toxic, Soft Boiled, and uh, it provided a bunch of team support. And that team is one of my favorite teams that I've ever used. Otherwise, it was pretty offensive in nature. And um, just like I was mentioning for... Uh, a couple of the other teams, uh, it was really good at controlling the pace of play and forcing the terms of engagement uh, onto the opponent uh, just by like saying, I have a win con that you have to respond to and uh, deal with me. And uh, just that tournament was like one of my fondest memories as a player because I was um, just very confident in my ability. Like I I had told friends before the tournament that I was going to cut and um, then I top cut it because I played really well and my team was good. And uh, aside from uh, that tournament, uh, I've had um, like every NAIC is fun and uh, getting to see friends do well is always uh, a pleasure. Uh, Watching Justin get top four last year was uh, really cool. Very cool. And are you going to, NAIC this year? Of course. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. 
It's a short enough drive that uh, I have no plans to ever really skip it, as long as it's uh, continually in the Midwest. It will, like, uh, last year, I took the season off uh, because I really did not like Dynamax uh, and Series 12 in particular. just really rubbed me the wrong way. Um, but I still played in NIC. I just played cards instead and had a good time with that. Great. Well, um, we will certainly be rooting for you and uh hope you do well i mean good luck with everything and thank um thank you again for so much for for coming on that is gonna be the episode so uh gentlemen uh we'll say our goodbyes uh we'll start with you tony number 48 <laughs> and nails thank you for coming on yeah thanks for having me it was a pleasure and thank you everybody for, for sticking with us we hope you certainly enjoyed this and learned some some you know great stuff Class dismissed.